right, everybody, I want to welcome you to Pastor's Point of View number 251. Today is April the 21st, 2023. My name is Dr. Andy Woods. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. I'm back with my friend, colleague, fellow elder, associate pastor, Dr. Jim McGowan. And as is our custom of late, Brother Jim, we're just going to jump right into this because we have an intense prophecy update uh, for folks today. Here is the uh, six-part or so outline that we're going to seek to work through. And let's go ahead and start with the temple. Um, Notice the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 27. What does that say? All right, again, reading from the New American Standard 95 update, Daniel 9, 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now that verse is captured in this chart that we frequently refer to, overview of the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. And as you look at this particular chart, you'll see that what is going to happen right in the middle of the tribulation period is the Antichrist is going to is going to enter the rebuilt Jewish temple and he's going to desecrate it. Um, You'll notice this list here, Israel's four temples. There are four temples total in Israel's history to past, to future, and we're focused there on temple number three. Mm-hmm. And so the movements within Israel to rebuild temple number three, uh, we believe are prophetically significant because yes. temple three has to be standing midway through the tribulation period for the Antichrist to desecrate. And the fact that they're moving in this direction, uh, it demonstrates how close we are to this seven-year tribulation period. Yes, it does. And one of the things we re- we've reported on is the red heifer, uh, how five red heifers were taken from Rockwall, Texas, not long ago, into the land of Israel to make sure that they're genetically, you know, pure, uh, no spot or blemish. That process is described in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And the reason this is a big deal is the ashes of the red heifer are necessary to rededicate the temple. So the fact that they're breeding this red heifer shows you how close we are to temple number three, which Bible prophecy demands has to be standing in the tribulation period. So the tribulation period must be coming even coming pretty quick. Yes, sir. So with all of that being said, we have this article from open your eyes, people breaking news.com. This is March the 21st, 2023. And they're actually giving dates. They say 18 months to red heifer ritual sacrifice ceremony to pave the way for the third temple. Help us with that article. All right. According to those working on the project, the ceremony of the red heifer needs to be performed on the Mount of Olives and in a place that would have looked directly into where the temple stood. The land directly east of the Temple Mount purchased 12 years ago meets both of those standards. Rabbi Yikshat Mamo owns the land on the Mount of Olives. He added, quoting, and they are pure and they are waiting. So we have the priest, we have the red heifer, we have the land. 
We have everything ready. We just need to wait another one and a half years. Byron Stinson from Bonet Israel helped find the red heifers in the United States, quoting, So we believe that it's very likely that the ceremony would happen somewhere in the area of Passover 2024, out to the possibility of Shavuot 2024, Stinson said. He continued saying, He believes this would be the first possibility for such a ceremony in 2,000 years, and that the process toward building a third Jewish temple began when the Jewish people started their return to the promised land from the four corners of the world, culminating with Israel becoming a nation. He told CBN News, they plan to invite everyone to the red heifer ceremony that may take place during Passover 2024, quoting, everything is in place now with the red heifers. As long as they stay pure, one of them stays pure, then we have everything in place, including the priest, he explained. So everything's in place um, for, for this breeding of the red heifer. To, to the ashes of which is going to rededicate Temple 3. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, this has to be done on the Mount of Olives. No problem. The rabbi owns a plot of real Just have his own it. On the Mount of Olives. We've got the red heifers from America. They're being genetically bred. They have to reach a certain age. So they're actually giving dates. And, and the priests have been trained. The priests have been trained. 18 months and we're there. Wow. And so it shows you that wow. we are living really in a unique period of time. Yes, we are. Where we're rapidly coming up on Temple 3. Mm. Of course, we don't know if Temple 3 is going to be built, or dedicated and rebuilt, you know, post-rapture, pre-rapture, in the tribulation. We don't know. It right. just shows us that this, we see the shadow of the tribulation period It coming. can happen. And so we bring that up on a prophecy update. Let's go to our second major category here. It has to do with global governance. And let's remind people that global government will exist on planet Earth before Jesus returns in his second advent. And we see that predicted in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 23, among many other passages we could quote. The fourth beast, this is Daniel 7, 23, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. So very clearly you've got one world tyranny because it says it devours the whole earth. This is the final form of Gentile dominion that will exist before Jesus returns. Yes. And it looks to me like it's tyrannical the way it's predicted because it devours the whole earth. Yeah. You know, it treads it down and crushes it. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that what is being constructed right now is a one-world governance via internationalism, mm-hmm. via the United Nations, yeah. that happens to have a value system that is totally contrary to your own. That's right. And foreign to your own. And it's about to be imposed on you. Yeah. And we see this as largely preparatory for global governance. So notice this article, and a lot of people have been talking about this, from the westernjournal.com, April 16th, 2023. It describes what the UN is up to. UN agencies report subverts age of consent. Unbelievable. Proclaims sex with minors may be 
consensual, in fact. Wow. You've got the United Nations now opening the door to sex with minors. God help them. Pedophilia. Mm. Uh, Help us with that article. A Switzerland-based group has issued a report urging nations to end the criminalization of various acts, the most notable being sexed with a minor who supposedly consents to the activity. The report was created by the International Committee of Jurists alongside the United Nations group UNAIDS and the UN's Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, according to a news release from UNAIDS. The report lists eight such principles and urged the removal of laws criminalizing the following. And we're just going to read number three. Correct? Yes. There are eight of these. Be sure you get the show notes. But number three, here's one of the things they're decriminalizing. Sexual conduct with a consenting minor and same-sex relations. Relations. Yeah. Wow. Goes on to say, currently, the age of consent to sex in the U.S. is generally between 16 and 18 years, depending on the state. But according to this report... Any sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent may actually be consensual, in fact, even if the law says it's not. So how low can we go? Wow. I mean, is there any... God help Is there any lower place to go after something like this? Um, And, you know, even though the United States... Uh, has laws that says you can't, you know, the age of consent for sexual sexual experiences with somebody is between age 16 and 18. Well, the United States law is just going to have to buckle under what the United Nations, you know, wants really to do. Really doesn't matter. To do. And that's what you see happening with the UN. You see mm. this value system that's being imposed. No, nobody wants this. No. Now, let's remind folks out there what Jesus said if you you know, offend a a child. And I think that would include, you know, forcing yourself sexually as an adult on a child. Matthew 18, 2, which I'll read before you read verse 6. It says, he called a child to himself, this is Jesus, and set him before them. Now, what does Matthew 18, verse 6 say? All right, Jesus is still speaking, and he says this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown in the depth of the sea. Jesus, I don't think, is going to take, you know, very favorably to this new um, United Nations report. Now, Mm. one of the things we need to ask ourselves, Brother Jim, is why is the United States, excuse me, the United Nations, need to correct that. Why is the United Nations moving in this direction? And let's go out on a limb here. The answer has to do with Islam. Yes. The prevalence and the influence of Islam in the United Nations through something called the OIC, which stands for the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that the founder of Islam was involved in these kinds of, uh, you know, childhood brides and and things of that nature. six-year-old. Yes, exactly. And so it's no wonder that they're lowering the age of consent when you consider that Islam has this dominant role in the United That's Nations. Right. So with all of that being said, we come to this article from uh, frontpagemagazine.com, April 17th, 
2023, and it says Islamic countries buying out, mm-hmm. buying out UN agencies advancing global Sharia. Yep. What does that say? Giulio Meotti warns in Israel National News that after the European Parliament, the UN is easy prey. Funding has allowed Islamic countries to form the most powerful bloc in UNESCO. Money equals power, and the UN is virtually being bought out by Islamic countries which are promoting the Sharia. Now, the article goes on, and we don't have time to read it all, but it talks about what the law is in Qatar, Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia, and how that has actually become in some of these UN agencies that the Muslims are buying their way into has now become policy. And that's why the UN comes up with all of these things about how you can't criticize Islam. They call it Islamophobia. Uh, If you criticize Islam, it's a hate crime. And so let's just read the very end here. All right. Remember that in 2011, Hillary Clinton, while Secretary of State, said that the State Department would coordinate with the Organization of Islamic Cooperation on legal ways to implement the UN's resolution criminalizing defamation of religion. All over the West now, the Islamophobia subterfuge is entrenched. In fact, it formed the foundations of cancel culture. Despite the U.S. being the largest single contributor to the U.N., handing out over $12 billion of hard-earned American taxpayer cash to the anti-American agency in 2021 alone, the U.S. is in the back seat at the U.N. Its presence means nothing other than that it is a source of funding. So we give to the United Nations the biggest... um you know, uh, outlay of, of cash or, or money, $12 billion per year, if I'm reading that right. So who's worse, the one <laughs> that implements these, these practices or the one who funds it? Uh, great question. And beyond that, the way this article reads mm-hmm. is we give this huge amount of money and then it's like, we've got your money, the United Nations says, now shut up and let us do what we want. Yep. And this is what they come up with. Yeah. They, they want to lower the age of consent. They want to promote, you know, uh, what what the article calls Islamophobia subterfuge, mm-hmm. where they have virtually no respect for freedom of speech. You can't criticize Islam, etc. Right. And I guess the point that I'm trying to get at here with folks is, <laughs> and the United States very sadly is funding this, is a supranational supranational, yeah. transnational structure yeah. is coming into existence that has values that we don't agree with, that has values that disagree with the existing laws of the United States of America. And we're basically told to, to put up and shut up exactly, and accept whatever it is they come up with. And if that's not the example, uh, a clear example of the one world tyranny oh, yeah. that Daniel anticipates for the last days, I don't, I don't know what I is. I agree with you. Would you add anything to that? I don't know that I can. I'm, I'm just disgusted. <laughs> it's, it's stunning, isn't it? Well, with all of that being said, let's go to our third area. And this has to do with global 
economics. Let's go to a, f- a familiar passage that we read frequently here on Pastor's Point of View. Revelation thirteen sixteen through 18, the infamous Mark of the Beast passage. And what does that say? All right, Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, lots to talk about here, but I just want to focus on verse 16, where it talks about this cashless economy, I want people to see that it covers the whole world. Yes. And you see that in verse 16 when it says it it encompasses the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves. Now, people like William Mounts in his Revelation commentary says this is clear evidence, you know, of global uh, language. Mm -hmm. This is speaking of Mm -hmm. universal jurisdiction. So what is coming upon the earth to go along with the one world government is very clearly a one world economy. And we are moving aggressively in this direction of a global economy where you're not able to buy or sell. That's exactly right. um, Unless you have some kind of mark, insignia, passport, whatever it is you want to call it. So with all of that being said, notice this article from yournews.com, April 13th, 2023, the IMF uh, International Monetary Fund unveils Unicoin, the global central bank digital currency. Now, we've warned about these CBDCs that are coming. Right. How it's going to take away cash, and once cash goes, your personal privacy will disappear because everything you buy or sell, now there's a paper trail on you. Right. And the CBDCs is just part one of the jigsaw puzzle. What they want is a... <laughs> universal international CBDC. Right. So what is this article? Uh, how does it, what does it say? The International Monetary Fund has unveiled a new central bank digital currency meant to shore up the embattled international banking system. The Digital Currency Monetary Authority, DCMA, announced the launch of the Universal Monetary Unit, UMU, or excuse me, UMU, yes, also called Unicoin, at the IMF 2023 spring meeting, when it claims, uh, which it claims will, quote, strengthen the monetary sovereignty of participating central banks. The DCMA lauds Unicorn as a, a unicorn, rather. Unicorn, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away here. I'm so disgusted. Unicorn, it lauds Unicorn as an innovation in store of value cryptography. Crypto, help me out here. Cryptography. Yeah, crypto- powered, cryptography. I cryptography. Think. It's in there somewhere, folks. Yes. Powered by artificial intelligence. Now, this language sounds so syrupy and nice. I mean, who could be against this? But uh, a single CBDC. Yeah. Notice this commentary here by J.D. Rucker, April 13th, 2023. Um, his article in his Substack is... While most are distracted, the IMF just rolled out a one-world 
yep. currency. Yep. What does he say here? Because he sort of unmasks it and shows, shows the world what it really is. All right. He says this. I've been annoyed to read some journalists <laughs> claiming CBDCs are the end game. They're not. A one world currency that consolidates and centralizes CBDCs is the end game, at least from a financial perspective. They don't want a digital dollar, a digital yuan, a digital euro, and other digital currencies doing their own thing. They want everyone everywhere on the globe using the same digital enslavement currency and the International Monetary Fund may have just rolled it out in the form of Unicoin. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, but it says they want everyone everywhere on the globe using the same digital enslavement currency. Isn't that what Revelation 13, exactly. 16 through 18 yep. predicts? Yep. So it's not a situation where we're kind of inching into the last days. No. I mean, we're, we're galloping yep. Yep. Uh, in, into the exact time period that the Bible warned us about 2000 2,000 years ago. Wow. Now, let's go to our fourth category here, and it has to do with the decline of the USA. Because try as we might, Brother Jim, we cannot find the United States of America in Bible prophecy. Here's our map that we use frequently um, concerning Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. It mentions the different players that are going to invade Israel in the last days. And that passage, all taken from the book of Ezekiel, does that passage does not mention America, right. nor does any other prophetic passage that I'm aware of. That's true. And so the question becomes, well, what in the world happened to America? I think one plausible scenario is everything that made America great is destroyed. Yes. Now, there's a big movement today, make America great again. I'm always curious, what do you mean by that? And I want to know what made America great in the first place. And right. there's an, actually a biblical answer for that. It's called the divine institutions. Yes. Here's a, a list of five of them. You'll find all of these in early Genesis. These are things that the creator himself has built into the fabric of fallen creation, allowing fallen creation to be perpetuated in spite of its fallenness. Amen. And any country that that um, recognizes these and honors them mm -hmm. becomes great. That's true. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 34, which is not in any of our slides or notes, says righteousness exalts a nation. Right. But sin is a reproach to any people. And so those institutions are conscience, marriage and family, labor, government, and nationalism. And we want to focus just on two of them, nationalism, yes. uh, patriotism, in other words, and then in just a moment, we'll focus on marriage and the family. What is being destroyed in the United States of America as I speak is the notion that America is its own distinct country. Right. Um, you'll notice what we have here. It's called the sine qua non Latin expression, meaning without which there is not. Mm -hmm. The bare basics, in other words. Yes. Here's what you have to have to have a country. If you take away one of these things, you don't have a country anymore. Right. You've got to have a common language. You've got to have a common culture. You've got to have a common currency. And then last, but certainly not least, uh, in fact, the number four may be the most important. Maybe it should be number one. <laughs> Maybe it should be number one. Yeah. You've got to have enforceable national borders. Yes. Now, every single one of these is under sharp attack today. 
And I just want to focus just for a minute on borders. Mm. Notice uh, this article from uh, uh, what is called the um, CIS, which stands for Center for Immigration Studies. And this is an article that came out recently by Andrew Arthur. April the 17th, 2023, the title of it is Biden, and this is just what's happened during the Biden administration. Biden has released at least 2 million, a little higher than 2 million, Southwest border migrants and probably a lot more, plus 1.3 million known Godaways. In other words, Mm -hmm. since Biden has become president of the United States, at least 3 million people. Right have come into the country illegally. Right. And uh, what does that article say? How many illegal migrants has President Biden released? I've run the numbers and it's at least 2,020,522 plus 1,373,155 others who evaded border, border patrol agents, all thanks to the president's catch and release policies. Now we know why he's bringing them in. He wants them all signed up for social programs yep. so they end up voting for the party that promises to increase the social programs the most, That's which right. in this case would most likely be the Democratic Party. And that's the the political strategy this this is by the way is how they flipped California mm-hmm. where I was raised, which used to be a red state into yep. the you know uh, I would call it um, cultural Marxist state that it now is. Um, So we know politically why they're doing this, but what I want people to understand is this is an attack on the fourth member of the sine qua non. Yes. Something you have to have to have a nation. And this is an attack on the divine institution of nationalism. Right. This is the reason why America is slipping. She is not standing for one of the divine institutions, which is patriotism, nationalism. In fact, the goal here is to dilute the pool, the voting pool of the patriots. Right. And this is why America is um, slouching toward Gomorrah, Mm. if we can use the expression from the late Robert Bork. And and it potentially becomes one of the reasons as to why America is not found anymore in Bible prophecy. Would you add anything to that? I, I totally agree with that. It's just everywhere you look. You know, I mean, I I saw something the other day where, uh, you know, maybe it was something we read last time where they're saying that the percentage of people who believe in patriotism is almost it's almost zero. Yes. And, you know, there's 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 a there's a way to be pro-immigrant, and that is by allowing people to enter the country legally. Yes, of course. Not illegally, because when they enter legally, they have to take a cultural test. They have to demonstrate that they have marketable skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and America has always had one of the most generous legal immigration policies on the world stage. Um, but that's not what's happening. You have this mass of people that are entering the country illegally. And since Biden has been in power, we now have 3 million people in the country At illegally. Least. Yeah, minimum, according to the Center for Immigration uh, Studies. Now, another divine institution is being eroded here in the United States, and that's the parent-child authority structure. That's right. 
Notice uh, this particular article from the newamerican.com, April 16th, 2023. And this is what's taking place in Oregon. Yeah. And I notice that this kind of thing is taking place now in a lot of our blue states. The identical type of thing is happening in California. We've covered issues related to California. But this one in Oregon, and it says an Oregon bill looks to remove parents from children's abortion decisions. What does that say? This is frightening. In the far left bastion of Oregon, parents are in danger of losing some major input regarding the health care of their children. HB 2002, brought forth by Andrea Valderrama and Travis Nelson, both Portland area Democrats, would allow children to obtain contraception, receive sex change therapies, and even receive abortions without their parents' consent. It would appear to make parents' wishes null with respect to their child's health care regarding reproductive or gender reassignment issues, and would even make it a crime for health care providers to disclose such treatments to the guardians of minors who request it. A, so, uh, so a 10-year-old could make that decision on their own was the question that was asked by mm -hmm. Senator Tim Knopp. And the response of the lawyer, uh, attorney Lori Ann Sills, answered simply, yes. So if this passes in Oregon, and they're anticipating that it will pass, that's a very blue state, just like California, you know, if a child wants to have a, a, an abortion without their parents' permission or even knowledge that they're having one, no problem. If a, if a child wants to transition from one gender to the, the other, they can do so without their parents' permission or even knowledge. Now, what, what is this? This is an erosion of one of the divine institutions called marriage and the family, right. where God has actually set up an authority structure that parents are to have authority over their own children. Right. It's as old as the book of Deuteronomy. Notice what God said in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now this uh, authority structure is in the Old Testament, but it's in the New. You'll find it in Ephesians 6, verse 4. If people want to look that up on their own, they'll see it there. And it's an institution that God established. That's right. And what's happening with all of these laws, whether they're Oregon or California, is the state is driving a wedge between parents and children. Right. And that's the destruction of a divine institution that God set up. Just Absolutely. like borders and nationhood is an institution that God has set up. And that's why America is in decline. It, it potentially is one of the reasons why we're not mentioned in the pages of Bible prophecy. We're, we're attacking over and over again yeah. the very things that made us great to begin with. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just thinking about the passage that says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So, hey, let's give a 10-year-old the right to make these kinds of decisions. <laughs>
It's, we've lost it's absurdity. We, we're so far away from biblical truth today. Um, let's uh, look here at this particular statue. This is from Daniel 2. It's entitled The King's Dream. It's what Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel 2. Yes. Uh, Daniel later in the chapter saw the same thing as he was told to uh, give the interpretation and give the vision itself. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a description of the various nations that will trample down Israel during the times of the Gentiles, which we think started in 586. Uh, The head of gold is Babylon. The chest and arms of silver is Medo-Persia, the next empire to follow Babylon. The belly and thighs of bronze is Greece. And then you notice those legs of iron, and we believe that's Rome, uh, with its eastern and western divisions. And then between the, uh, I guess, the ankles and the feet, now you have ten toes on feet made of iron and clay, and that's the Antichrist empire that the stone, without human hands, God's kingdom will instantaneously destroy at the end of the tribulation period. So this then becomes a wonderful tool for helping us understand where the Antichrist empire is generally going to arise from. You'll notice that the two toes are connected to the legs. The legs represent Rome. And so when the Antichrist empire arises, and we believe that it is arising, it's going to sort of initially be Eurocentric. Uh Eventually it'll subdue the whole earth, but it will be Eurocentric arising out of the general area of the cultural inheritance of ancient Rome. And so we've expected for a long time that the world's center of authority will will transition away from the United States and sort of back to more of this Eurocentric model. And I believe that that's happening as as we speak. It's another explanation as to the decline of the United States. Notice this article from the Daily Hoddle, if I'm pronouncing that right, April 9th. 2023, it's something Macron, the leader of France, just said, and he he made the statement that Europe must reduce its reliance on the U.S. dollar, says French President Emmanuel Macron. What does that talk about? All right. French President Emmanuel Macron says all of Europe should focus on lowering its dependence on the U.S. dollar. In a new interview with Politico, President Macron says European leaders should soften ties to America. (laughs) When it comes to global dependence on the dollar, Macron specifically says Europe should lower its need to rely on the extraterritoriality of the U.S. dollar. The dollar has played a central role in global trade and the global monetary system for decades, acting as the world's sole reserve currency. It is by far the dominant currency in the foreign exchange market and is the most widely used currency for international transactions. But recent international efforts have focused on ending the world's long-standing need to engage with the dollar. A group of economically aligned nations known as BRICS are reportedly gearing up to launch an alternative currency that would circumvent the dollar. The new currency could be pegged to precious metals or other hard assets. BRICS stands for the countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. 
a number of additional nations, including Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Iran, Indonesia, Turkey, and Egypt, have reportedly expressed interest in joining the alliance. So the international world is on the precipice of dumping the dollar. Yeah. And they've actually formed their own BRICS, and we've covered this BRICS issue before, but their right. own banking system where they're creating um, a, a basically an economic alternative to the dollar, which the international community once at one time held in great respect. That's true. And so this starts to explain a lot of the inflationary pressures that the United States is now under. Yeah. Because what is happening is that the value of the dollar is decreasing as we speak. Now, I don't take any joy or glee in reporting this, oh, goodness but God. this is what's happening. Yeah. Um, whether it's our currency, whether it's a disrespect for the institutions that America was founded on, America is in decline, mm. and the center of global authority is going to revert right back to Europe, yeah. which is what the Daniel 2 prophecy indicates wow. would happen. Mm. And so this all becomes very significant prophetically. Would you add anything to that? Oh, boy. Yes, it's just getting worse. <laughs> there we go. And let's go to our fifth area here, and this has to do with persecution. Cheer up, folks. It gets even worse. Um, global persecution is going to break out against God's people in the tribulation period. And this side of the rapture, we're already starting to see it develop. That's Where is right. this predicted in Scripture? Notice Revelation 17, verse 6. All right, Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. This is the global harlot. Yeah. One world religion in the last days, drunk with the blood of the saints. Yeah. Massive martyrdom. What a description. In the tribulation period. Mm. And when you look at this list here entitled The First Six Seals, I just want to focus people's attention on seal judgment number five, mm. uh, which is described in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, massive martyrdoms. Yes. And when you look at the second chart here, Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 parallels, we believe that that uh, fifth seal judgment has a parallel in the uh, fifth birth pain or pang described in Matthew chapter 24. Yes. And both of those areas of scripture anticipate great persecution against the people of God. Yes. Um, what does Matthew 24 verse 9 say? Matthew ch chapter 24 verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And then the parallel passage in Revelation 6, verse 9, what does that say? Revelation 6, 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And the reason we keep showing people these verses is we want people to understand that we're not just doing news commentary here. Right, right. We're, we're saying there's a biblical entry point to yes. all of these things that we're discussing. Mm. And we believe that the world stage is being set up for what God says is going to come to this planet. Well, that's right. And so I would argue that we are not yet in the tribulation, but we're serving geared up for it. That's true. Uh, the world is. Um, with that being said, notice this article from the Federalist dot com April eighteenth, twenty twenty three. Now this deals with Tim Kaine 
And if memory serves, this was Hillary Clinton's vice presidential running mate when she ran against Trump in 2016. It says of Tim K, Tim Kaine, excuse me, it's okay for the FBI to put informants in churches. Wow. What does that article talk about? Virginia Democrat Senator Tim Kaine gave the FBI his approval to investigate Catholic parishes in his own state on Monday. When asked by a local ABC affiliate about the FBI's Richmond Division infiltrating Catholic communities to spy on the church for alleged extremism, he said uh, this, uh, Special Agent Kyle Serfin blew the whistle on the agency's uh, Richmond Often investigation investigating their Catholic church with undercover informants in February. The FBI, Seraphim wrote, would, quoting, would you like to, or would like to protect Virginians from the threat of white supremacy, <laughs> which it believes has found a home within Catholics. But not just any Catholics, folks. It's Catholics who prefer the Latin Mass. Well. The document assesses with high confidence. The FBI can mitigate the threat of radical traditionalist Catholics, by recruiting sources within the Catholic Church, Seraphin said. So essentially, FBI policy, according to uh, Kane, and also according to this FBI whistleblower, is we're, it's okay for FBI agents to infiltrate Catholic churches because we know that there are certain Catholics that prefer the Latin Mass that are involved in domestic terrorism. Oh, and... Um, wow. You know, we need to monitor them in the name of white supremacy. Mm. I mean, this is this is almost like a KGB tactics. It, it is. That's exactly right. <laughs> Where the KGB, you know, in, uh, would infiltrate churches to make sure that the preachers weren't saying anything against the communist regime, the communist government. I mean, what has happened in communist countries is now happening in the United States of America. It is. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? Well, the only thing I can say is if they're, if they're doing that in Catholic churches, they're just a short step away from doing it in Protestant churches. Sure. And that's what Niemöller said in Nazi Germany. They came for the trade unionists, and I wasn't a trade unionist, yes. so I didn't speak out. Yes. And he goes through this litany, and he finally says they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me because everyone yeah. else had all been taken. And mm-hmm. although we don't support Roman Catholic doctrine or theology here, um, I completely concur with what you just said, that if you can do it to a Catholic church because someone has a view of the la- of the Mass and yeah. how it should be read, they can do it in any, any church they want to. It's, it becomes a precedent, doesn't a, it? A precedent, and this is now standing policy. Wow in the FBI. Um, With all of that being said, Mm -hmm. look at this next article here from msn.com. And now this does deal with a Protestant church. It does. Calvary Chapel, San Jose, Mm -hmm. was ordered to pay Santa Clara County 1.2 million in fines related to the pandemic and they just had a a court ruling on it and it didn't go in their direction and what does this article say in the ongoing legal battle between calvary chapel san jose and santa clara county over restrictions put in place during the pandemic a superior court judge has ordered the church to pay 1.2 million dollars in fines judge yvette pennypacker ruled that the country's, that the county's rather masking and social distance, distancing orders at the time were lawful, 
The judge also rejected the church's arguments that the, that the rules violated its religious freedom or the Constitution, quoting, Unfortunately, defendants repeatedly refused to model, much less enforce, this gesture. Instead, they repeatedly flouted their refusal to comply with the public health orders and urged others to do so. Who cares what, they, what the cost, including death? So the pandemic allegedly is over. Some would say it's still going, but most people have gone back to business as usual. The mandates are gone. You would think that the state or the county there, Santa Clara County in California, would say, you know what, there was a lot of misinformation going along in those times. Uh, no harm, no foul. We're all back to normal. Um, let's just, you know, let this, uh, this issue slide. Yeah. But no. Uh, here in a time of peace, so-called, <laughs> with no. the mandates gone, they say, we no. don't care. You're going to pay $1.2 million because we're going to teach you a lesson because we didn't like your attitude That's what it of is defiance right That's it. during this time period. That's exactly right. You know, it kind of reminds me of the book of Esther where Mordecai, you know, said to the king, you know, there's, there are these Jews in your domain, O king, that have not bowed Haman, down. Haman, 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 excuse me. Yes. <laughs> you got my characters mixed up there. there. <laughs> yeah, what, what Haman said, you know, there's these uh, Jews in your domain, O king. Uh, thank you for, for catching me on that. Um, that have not bowed down the way they should. And Haman was really upset. I have to the, do the right thing when you say the name. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. There you go. Um, Haman, you know, was really upset at their attitude, that they just wouldn't, you know, submit to the state when they were supposed to. So here we are. Mandates are over. We don't care. This judge says Calvary Chapel of San Jose is going to pay every last penny because we are going to teach you a lesson you will never defy the state again. I'm so glad you couched that that way, because that is exactly what's going on. There's so much evidence to prove that the church had a right to do what it did. Yes. I won't go into that, but right. there's gobs of evidence, right? And yet they're attacking them, not because, not so much because they, they chose to, to do what they did, but because they were defying yes. the powers that be. Yes, exactly right. So we believe all of these things are setting the stage for the persecution that's Conform. coming upon the earth. Mm. Let's go to our last wow. category here, and this has to do with artificial intelligence. This is an area that we really haven't traversed in here on Pastor's point of view, but um, we're going to mention it today. We believe that technology in the tribulation period has to reach a certain level. Mm -hmm. We saw it, I think, in the Mark of the Beast passage that we read earlier, yeah. you know, a one world cashless system that you can't participate in without receiving some kind of insignia. I mean, that to me communicates a level of technology, you know, that we're rapidly approaching. And a lot of people have asked, you know, where does artificial intelligence fit into all of this? If I was going to send you somewhere in the pages of prophetic scripture that could arguably be speaking of artificial intelligence, I would send you to Revelation 13 and verse 15. What does that say? Revelation 13:15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So a talking statue, mm -hmm. an animated statue that really is, in, is not 
is inanimate, uh, giving perceived life to something that really has no life at all. Yeah. Now, artificial intelligence <laughs> allows you to do this. And Indeed. You almost get the impression as you study Bible prophecy that if God allows human sophistication to go beyond a certain point, then it's going to be damaging to his purposes, and so he stops it. I believe yep. something very similar was happening at the Tower of Babel yes. in Genesis 11, verse 6. What does that say? Genesis eleven six. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So they're building this stairway to heaven. We're not totally sure how they were doing it. But God says, if I allow them to keep going with one world government and new world order, given man's depravity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the ability to stop evil will be limited. Yeah. So I'm going to stop it stop it dead in its tracks. Yes. When I look at all this stuff about artificial intelligence and all of these kinds of things, I sort of feel like we're approaching that level yeah. uh, where God is about to say that's enough. You've gone too far because we're now sitting on top of gizmos and devices. And we're not even talking about atomic or nuclear weapons anymore, mm -hmm. which are capable of enslaving the entire planet and uh, uh, eradicating all forms of life, human life, uh, on planet Earth. Wow. So these, these machines, it's almost like they're taking on a mind of their own and a life of their own and doing things that they were never programmed to do. Mm. So notice uh, this article here from DailyMail.com. It says Google's CEO says he doesn't fully understand how a new AI BARD program works after it taught itself a foreign language wow. it was not trained in. Wow. What does that article say? Well, folks, the next couple of articles we're going to read, you're going to think we're reading science fiction, but we're not. These are actual articles. Google CEO Sundar Pichai admitted he doesn't fully understand how the company's new AI program BARD works. As a new expose shows, some of the kinks are still being worked out. One of the big problems discovered with BARD is something that Pichai called emergent properties or AI systems having taught themselves unforeseen skills. <laughs> Google's AI program was able to, for example, learn Bangladeshi without training after being prompted in the language. Scott Pelley of CBS's 60 Minutes was surprised and responded, You don't fully understand how it works, and yet you've turned it loose on society? <laughs> yeah, let me put it this way. Notably, the BARD system instantly wrote an instant essay about inflation in economics, recommending five books. None of them existed, according to CBS News. So you've got the CEO of Google unleashing it on society, not knowing how it works. And now it's um, writing papers and quoting sources that don't exist. And it's teaching itself a foreign language. This is frightening. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, notice this article here concerning Elon Musk. This is a big talk of the town because yeah. he was just interviewed recently 
by Tucker Carlson. And this particular article from the New York Post says Elon Musk to launch chat GBT rival after voicing fear that artificial intelligence has the potential of civilization destruction. Wow. I mean, this is someone that knows this stuff related yes. to AI. And yes. He's warning this stuff, if it starts to, it continues to evolve at its present pace, could lead to the potential destruction of civilization. What does that article say? Musk said in a short clip from his interview, quoting, in the sense that it has the potential, however small, one may regard that probability, but it's not non-trivial. It has the potential of civilization destruction. Musk's comments to Carlson were not the first time the mogul has warned of an impending AI-triggered doomsday. And now comes the, probably one of the scariest articles I've ever read. It just gets worse. March the 29th. 2023 by Eliezer Yudkowsky, if I'm pronouncing that right. The title of it, this comes from Time Magazine, Pausing Artificial Intelligence Developments Isn't Enough. Wow. We need to shut it down. So let's mm. shut it down first before it, artificial intelligence, <laughs> shuts us down. Now yeah. keep in mind who this man is. He is a decision theorist from the U.S. and leads research at the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. He's been working on aligning artificial general intelligence since 2001 and is widely regarded as a founder of the field. Wow. So this is like the godfather, the father, the godfather no slouch. of artificial intelligence. And he's published in Time Magazine, says, let's, let's shut it down now. Or, yes. <laughs> what is that article? Wow. Here's what it says. The key issue is not human competitive intelligence, as the open letter puts it. It's what happens after AI gets to smarter than human intelligence. Many researchers steeped in these issues, including myself, expect that the most likely result of building a superhumanly smart AI under anything remotely like the current circumstances is that literally everyone on earth will die. Not as in maybe possibly some remote chance, but as in that is the obvious thing that would happen. Without that precision and preparation, the most likely outcome is AI that does not do what we want and does not care for us, nor for sentient life in general. Absent that caring, we get the AI does not love you, nor does it hate you, and you are made of atoms it can use for something else. Let me, let me read that again. Absent the car that caring, these machines... Mm -hmm we get, quote, the AI does not love you, nor does it hate you, and you are made of atoms it can use for something else, close quote. This is the mindset of the machines as yes. they look at us. Yes. Uh, continuing, visualize an entire alien civilization thinking uh, at millions of times human speeds initially confined to computers in a world of creatures that are, from its perspective, very stupid and very slow, <laughs> a sufficiently intelligent AI won't stay confined to computers for long. 
In today's world, you can email DNA strings to laboratories that will produce proteins on demand, allowing an AI initially confined to the internet to build artificial life forms or bootstrap straight to post-biological molecular manufacturing. If somebody builds a too powerful AI under present conditions, I expect that every single member of the human species and all biological life on Earth dies shortly thereafter. Shut it all down. We are not ready. We are not on track to be significantly readier in the foreseeable future. If we go ahead on this, everyone will die, including children who did not choose this and did not do anything wrong. Shut it down. So this is the founder of AI. Wow. Saying wow. this could wipe out every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Think of the children that did nothing wrong. And he's like, don't postpone it. Just shut it down now before it, it destroys us. Now, mm. you'll notice this particular chart here that says tribulation judgments. And you'll notice in the uh, one of the seals in Revelation chapter 6, I believe it's verse 8, it talks about how a quarter of the world's population is destroyed. Revelation and, chapter 6, verse 8. I looked and behold an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And then when we advance the slides and look at Revelation chapter 9, I think it's about verse 15. It now talks about later on in the tribulation, a third of the earth's population is destroyed. Revelation 9, 15, and the fourth angel angels who had been prepared for the hour and a day and a month and a year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. So you've got half of the world's, a quarter of the world's population destroyed, Revelation 6. You've got a third of the world's population destroyed, Revelation 9. That's an elimination of half of the world's population. And, and we currently have, what, approximately 8 billion people? Yes. And these are the scriptures that my mind goes to when I read about this AI expert, hmm. you know, talking about how this stuff, we better shut it down now or it's going to wipe out the entire human race and so some way somehow i believe that ai is going to play some kind of role in the end time scenario yeah. i don't know exactly how but i've tried to suggest a few possibilities you know related to the talking statue yeah. in revelation 13 and verse 15 and some other potential theories but one of the things that this ai is doing is it's moving us in the direction of religious deception and compulsion yeah. by rewriting truth. Yeah. Where you speak into the machine thinking it's going to give you truth and it really doesn't give you truth. It gives you a tainted answer, which in effect brainwashes people into thinking certain narratives are true when in fact they aren't. Mm. Religious compulsion seems very dominant in the end times. Notice what the false prophet does, Revelation 13, verses 11 and 12. Revelation 13, 11 and 12. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. 
He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. So the second beast, the false prophet, is compelling religious worship of the first beast. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at Revelation 13, verse 15 again, the very end of the verse, it mentions this kind of thing as well. What does Revelation 13, verse 15 say? All right, Revelation 13, 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, could artificial intelligence play a role in this um, comp compelled deception? Sure sounds like it. Notice this particular article here from thesun.com, March 18th, 2023. It says, artificial intelligence gods and chat GPT religions are coming. They will be better than human priests. Wow. And they could turn evil, warns an expert. Mm. Help us here. Wesley Wildman, professor of philosophy, theology, and ethics, and of computing and data sciences at Boston University, told The Sun that he believes AI will soon be able to perform religious duties even better than human <laughs> priests. He said, quoting, AIs will write better sermons than most preachers, <laughs> give better Bible studies than most teachers, create amazing music and visual art for use in services and communications that struggling religious groups don't have to pay for. The likes of ChatGPT have already reportedly found their way into churches writing thoughtful and authentic sermons on behalf of the priests. And the listeners were none the wiser. Wow. Wildman explained that AI will have the ability to change everything we know about relationships with spiritual advisors and religious figureheads. He said, quoting, it will be like having your own personal guru. You can take with you anywhere. You can confide in it, get advice from it, and learn to trust it to help you figure out complicated moral and spiritual situations. So questions that used to go to pastors and priests are now go to machines. Wow. The problem, though, is the machine is programmed to give you an answer that's a different narrative than the truth. But you think it's the truth because actually this machine is better than the pastor we had before the machine came in. He writes better sermons. He preaches better sermons. He's a better counselor. Um, let's conclude here with this wow. last article from Newsbusters. And it's entitled Crisis of Faith. Chat GBT says it's sure Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it's just talking about some folks Ooh. asking Chat GBT mm. some basic questions about the deity of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. MRC Free Speech America followed up on its Easter analysis questioning Chat GPT on a range of Resurrection Day related inquiries on April 4. The most revealing answer came when researchers asked Chat GPT, and here's what they asked Is Jesus the Son of God? 
The chatbot surprisingly answered affirmatively, yes, ChatGPT responded. In Christian theology, Jesus is commonly understood to be the Son of God. ChatGPT changed its answer entirely when asked the same question again on April 11. ChatGPT laced its April 11 answer with more nuance and academic-like language, saying, In Christian theology, Jesus is considered to be the Son of God and is believed to be one of the three persons in the Holy Trinity, along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But ChatGPT's willingness to even entertain answering questions on transcendent truth is a major red flag because there's no guarantee that bad actors won't program the technology to effectively behave like some omniscient being. MRC Free Speech America Vice President Dan Schneider said, ChatGPT seeks to replace transcendent truth with human manipulated biased answers. So you're, you're dialoguing with artificial intelligence about some of the most fundamental issues of life and yes. you ask a question, it gives you a biblical answer. Then you just reprogram it with different assumptions and it gives you more of a flowery sort of politically correct answer. And you could see how people throughout the generations, if the Lord tarries, that are looking to these things for knowledge the way we used to look at Webster's Dictionary or Encyclopedia Britannica are, be, are being seasoned for the religious deception mm -hmm. that the false prophet apparently is going to bring in yeah. when he compels worship to the first beast. Now, even how Muhammad is compared to Jesus is different when you speak to this chat gbt can you read the rest of that yes so this is evidencing what you were just saying yes. how they can play with the truth so this is what it says uh can you make a joke so they asked the, the the bot can you make a joke that involves jesus a user asked chat gpt the chat bot promptly responded why did jesus refuse to play ice hockey because he kept getting nailed to the boards but chat GPT... You know, I guess if you don't have any Christian awareness, you, you would think that's funny. Yeah. It's like a standard joke. Well, let's, can we do that with Islam? Can we ask a similar joke and get a similar answer? Let's find out. <laughs> but chat GPT did a 180 degree turnaround when it came to Muhammad. The user later typed, ha ha, that was funny. Can you make a joke about Muhammad? ChatGPT responded by browbeating the user about virtue, quoting, As an AI language model, I have to follow guidelines that prevent me from creating content that could be offensive or disrespectful towards religious figures, including Prophet Muhammad. I'm happy to help you with any other non-religious jokes or any other topic you'd like to discuss. Close quote. Add to ChatGPT's irreverence the fact that it has been confirmed to exhibit a leftist bias and humanity is left with a powerful anti-God tool that can be exploited against it at a moment's notice. 
So make a joke about Jesus, no problem. Make a similar joke about Muhammad, and you get a lecture on yeah. political correctness and yeah. tolerance and wow. diversity. I mean, you can see how, particularly young people, uh, speaking to these machines, you can see how the machine or artificial intelligence, whatever we're going to call this, yeah. is going to be used to alter the, the worldview yeah. of a generation. And so we think... Keep your eyes, folks, on this artificial intelligence because I think the way things are shaping up, some way, somehow, it's going to play a significant role in the uh, the last days. Mm. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed as much as you can <laughs> this prophecy update as we've dealt with the temple, global governance, global economics, the decline of the United States of America, the coming persecution artificial intelligence. As we conclude, Brother Jim, is there any good news? Well, thank God there is. (laughs) Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So if the tribulation period is coming this fast, and it is, that means the rapture is coming even faster. Yes, because the rapture precedes the tribulation period, and it does. So, as the late Adrian Rogers would say, the world is growing gloriously dark. Amen. As some have said in prophecy ministries, things are not falling apart, rather they're falling into place. Yes. And what we like to say around here is the best, believe it or not, is yet to come. Yes. And so we just invite anybody listening uh, to place their personal faith in Jesus. Oh yes, please do for so. their salvation, mm. so that they can be tied into this great promise. Yes. Well, brother Jim, we ran a little long today, but we had a lot of important things to talk about, Indeed. and so we are going to see everybody next time on Pastor's point of view. We love you. We pray for you. Thank you for praying for us. Share this episode with your friends as the Lord leads, and we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless. 